Hey, hello, hi, welcome to and we're back to the Equitheory podcast. I'm your host, Jill Treese, and that rustling sound in the background is my cats, Wally and Zuko. They're currently fighting on the ground and being as obnoxious as possible. But I've got to record the intro for this episode, and I'm going to give you guys a fair warning, as you can probably see. It's a rather long episode. But I think it's going to be a really awesome listen for you guys because it is just two people talking extensively about the most, I think, misunderstood and asked question um, of clicker trainers and positive reinforcement trainers, which is, how on earth do you ride with this? What does it look like? What are the logistics? You have to stop all of the time. Like, what happens if your horse says no? What do you do? Like... We have so much <laughs> to cover in this episode, and uh, I will give you guys a fair warning that me and this episode's special guest, uh, we got a lot to say. It goes in a lot of different directions, and we cover many different topics within the umbrella of, um, you know, riding a horse with positive reinforcement, because there's so much that goes into it. Even traditional training, you know, it's not just okay, you get a horse and you get on. There are so many pieces that go into it, and that's what this episode's about. We just cover top to bottom pretty much everything as far as getting started, and we start to get into getting on. I think that this is a really important precursor um, type episode, and um, we start touching on it, but then we start addressing questions in the next episode more so. So um, just hang in there, listen to this one. I think it is a phenomenal episode, and um, I'm really excited to be doing the series with Kane uh, because, oh my God, Kane is just a brilliant, brilliant trainer and horseman. Like I just, uh, it's, it's so good to be able to talk to somebody that has so much experience and so much natural talent for working with horses in this way. And like, um, we discussed it a little bit in the episode, but I remember at one point I started bringing it to them and was talking about it and they were like, yeah, okay. And I kind of see it, but not really. And then they started looking into it and then just totally passed me with flying colors <laughs> and are just an incredible trainer. And I, I'm just so honored and it's just it feels like an amazing thing to do for this podcast to have somebody like that on. And I hope that you guys really enjoy listening to us uh, talk about this. It's a very heavily requested topic. And uh, there's a lot to be said. And I hope that you guys are able to use it to think about something and, um, you know, ride your ponies with positive reinforcement if you want. So anyway, let's get into the music and get into some ads so we can get into talking. Okay, three, two, one, go. Alrighty, guys, you know the drill. We have got to do the patron ad because Jill still has not found sponsors for the podcast. Uh, there's been a lot going on. Whatever. It's fine. Listen to the patron ad and then we'll get into it. Okay, three, two, one, go. So the last ad before we jump into the content is one where you can support me and the horses directly. If you're willing and able, check us out at Equitheory on your Patreon app or at patreon.com slash Equitheory. When you become a patron of the podcast, you can ask me questions that I'll answer on the podcast for just $5 a month. And at the $10 tier, you can receive merch and have access to live Q&A events, which means you get your questions answered in real time. And at the higher tiers, you have the option for phone call consults with me on air or privately, as well as access to online training with me, depending 
depending on your tier. Sounds like a lot of fun to me. <laughs> but lastly, you should know, should you decide to become a patron, you can cancel at any time or subscribe and unsubscribe as you please or as you're able. And if you can't support us through Patreon, no worries at all whatsoever. Listening alone is more than enough. I just want to say thank you to all the current and future patrons. Me and the ponies appreciate it endlessly. But anyway, I'm going to stop talking and we're going to get into the part where I talk about things that you're actually interested in. Okay, guys, I am on the phone with Kane Meyer. Say hello. Hello. Hi. <laughs> um, so, Kane, can you tell us a little bit about, it feels so weird to say your name. I feel like I never address you. <laughs> We're always like, hey, dude. We talked about that recently, too. Yeah. We don't address each other's names. Yes. But um, I'm a gender. I'm under the non-binary umbrella. I'm a professional rider and problem horse trainer in Simi Valley, California. Okay. Um, I also work for Amelia Newcomb. She is in Somis, and she is a Grand Prix dressage trainer. Um, mm. So I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> yes. Um, I work mostly with Arabians and starting horses under saddle. And uh, like I said, like problem horses are my main thing. And I'm very lucky that I'm one of the only people in my area who really does that. Um, and I've been riding for a very long time. I'm 23. I've been riding since I was like between five and seven. Um, I learned to ride at Elvenstar, which is a very popular riding academy in my area. Um, but I also grew up riding Western as much as I did English. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, Star really raised me with the hunters and uh, Dos Vientos really raised me with like the bell racing and the Gymkhana and the trail riding. Um, and also my mom's best friend had a horse. And so he was really like my first horse where I got to <laughs> learn to really care for them, which I realized later on a lot of people don't get to do. Um, yeah. But I since like turned to jumpers and especially when I got my first horse, Lily, seven years ago, uh, we did jumpers together, but I'm now training full-time dressage and clicker training. Wow. Yes. Very fun. (laughs) Yes. Crazy busy all the time. Cannot believe we finally found a time where our schedules lined up well enough for us to be able to do this because we're in for a long one. (laughs) Yes. Um, Okay. So. Now that we've got your story out of the way, um, I I just want to give a little bit of a disclaimer preface thing here um, that, as you can tell, you guys, from the title of the episode, that this will be predominantly covering riding with positive reinforcement and clicker training. So this episode pretty inherently assumes that you understand operant conditioning and positive reinforcement. And if you need a refresher or to brush up on any of the terms and want to get started with it, I have a endless (laughs) list of resources on my website, um, which is jeticwiththeory.com that you can visit. I've got even a glossary page so you can look up these terms as we're talking if you're not familiar and then maybe listen back when you're a little bit more uh, adept at all the, <laughs> all of the words that we'll be using. Um, but we'll do our best to um, give layman definitions uh, while we're talking so that it does make some sense for everyone who's not um, super nerdy like we are. <laughs> but um, the quick definition of positive reinforcement is the addition of a pleasurable, desirable, anything good uh, stimulus in order to increase behavior. So basically what that means is you give a treat to hopefully encourage the animal to do a behavior again. Would you say that that is probably how you would define that? (laughs) Absolutely. And I can very clearly say that it is not the release of pressure. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not the moment when you are not like 
pulling on your horse or patting your horse. Um, it's specifically you have to add the stimulus. It has to be something coming from the outside. Yes. Um, specifically, you know, horses being herd animals and grazing animals and everything that they are. It has to be something that they value. And mm-hmm. usually what they value is very different from what we do. Right. Typically, I think a lot of people um, have a tendency to um, – think, and it's well-intentioned, but think that they are reinforcing their horse using positive reinforcement because they say good boy or good girl a lot or because they pat their horses. Um, But in reality, it is up to the horse to decide what is actually reinforcing to them individually. Some horses like scratches, some don't. Some horses like certain alfalfa pellets, others don't. And it is up to the individual to decide, not us. (laughs) We are (laughs) students of the horse. They are the experts on themselves, and it is up to us to listen. And I cannot tell you how much it frustrates me to see people literally slapping their horses as they go around the arena. I'm like, that is no <laughs> yeah. different from when we he... put it politely that way. Yes, and it's it's not much different from the horse when he's in the cross ties and he nips at you, and then you smack him in the nose or in the neck, <laughs> and then you do the same thing for him completing a, a clear round. It, the horse doesn't... Uh, really gauge the intent (laughs) so yeah and I think also another like important distinction is the difference between plus r and natural horsemanship because it is not natural horsemanship or like what people usually describe that as though very Um, natural (laughs) like we are not horses uh natural horsemanship puts you on like this imaginative level with the horse and that is not at all the case you are not a horse uh your horse is not going to treat you like a horse your horse is going to treat you like a human being as you are going to treat your horse like a horse right and i mean it is a wonderful world to live in (laughs) where that is the case and i i think that there are some degrees and aspects that you can communicate to your horses like i i don't know if you've found this personally but um like when i am teaching a horse quote-unquote manners um the like initial stages of clicker training if i turn my shoulders away from them they almost always instinctively turn their heads away from me and um so i think that there is some degree of they being able to perceive your communication similarly to horses but they will never see you as a member of the herd i think that that is a pretty pretty muddy but (laughs) true distinction do you agree absolutely because it's you know even if they're not going to treat you as a horse they'll still learn your body language Mm -hmm. and i i honestly joke that i can speak fluent english to some of my arabians because they just really (laughs) catch on to you and it's not a bad thing to not be seen by your horse as a horse like it's a good thing you have this relationship with this companion and Mm -hmm. this animal with both of you right um it's not a bad thing to not be treated as a horse from your horse. <laughs> yes. And I mean, I think it's all about just making sure that your communication is coming across to the horse in a realistic way, not like going back to the padding in the arena uh, question. Yeah. <laughs> like, just because to you, you're telling him good boy, I am pretty sure if you were to do that to a human, they would be like, stop hitting me. <laughs> yeah. Just because yeah. it, it looks, you know, fancy or you're really excited or whatever doesn't necessarily mean it feels good to the horse (laughs) so and then like for that same reason it's also you know you don't get you as a person don't get along with every single other person so when you're working with horses you're gonna very quickly find that there's some horses you really vibe well with and others that are a lot more of a struggle with you um it matters as much that the rider fits the horse as the horse fits the rider definitely i mean there have been many horses that have come through our farm that i try so hard to work with them 
in a way that communicates to them that I like them. But for whatever reason, we just do not get along. And then, you know, when they're sold and they meet their people, they are phenomenal. And I'm like, I guess we just did not vibe with each other. (laughs) As long as someone loves them, it doesn't matter if it's me. As long as someone loves them. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So, um Anyway, what's important is that you love your horse. <laughs> and, <laughs> and also, I guess that touches on another topic um, that, you know, like getting along with a certain horse and is, I don't know, because that ties into problematic behaviors, which we will be talking about in another episode, like biting and that sort of thing. Um, a horse that bites doesn't necessarily mean that horse doesn't like you. Um, could be indicative of history, pain, uh, doesn't like what you're doing or, uh, what you have associated yourself with. But, um, I think that there is a, a nuance to working <laughs> with horses oh, yeah. and making sure that you are differentiating between a horse that can be trained to behave quote unquote better and, uh, a horse that you just genuinely don't get along with on a personality basis. <laughs> Oh, I'll even the Thobra that I have right now. We're best friends, and he tried to take chunks out of me the first week that he was there. But yeah, same he with Mac. Me. He still loves me, but it happens. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so now that we've spent ten minutes <laughs> not talking about what we're supposed to be talking about, let's I mean, this get is into our it. Typical conversations. No too, kidding. So. <laughs> no, it's so bad. Every time we get on the phone, it's like two hours minimum, and you're like, Jill, I have to go. I'm busy, and I'm like, Yeah, but <laughs> but what about this? And you're like, no, Okay. Well, it's good to know. Okay. So anyway, we're getting into the questions. I'm making it happen. Okay. So how did you personally learn how to ride with um, clicker training? Like what was your, um, I guess, catalyst for starting clicker training? So I actually caught on to it fully from you. Um, Oh, I didn't know that. (laughs) When you started going in Um, I was just like, okay, this is actually pretty interesting. And I think the reason that I took to it so quickly versus others was because I had already had little experiences with it, like Mm -hmm. many, many years ago when I started with Lily, um, like those first experiences were kind of just imagining how great it would be for my horse to come to me when I whistle (laughs) Um, and like, you know, like a dog. Um, And it seemed right to be using treats for that. Uh, And it lightly escalated into using treats for really difficult horses. But I was really just using it sparingly at the start. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you started doing more plus our research, I did as well. Um, And it I found that it actually came really naturally to me, you know, however, you I definitely passed me. To be able to say that. <laughs> yeah, you definitely surpassed me in skill, I would say. <laughs> but I mean, we both put in all that work. Um, and especially with Plus R, like, you know, I, I can be a very reactive person. And for those of you who don't know Lily, she's a chestnut mare and she's half <laughs> Arabian and half Mustang. So she has plenty all the stereotypes, of plenty of attitude. Um, And it really helped me remain calm with horses, especially with her, and to think about how my actions and my emotions were communicating with them and how powerful food really was, especially when it came to horses who struggled so greatly to interact with people. Yeah, and I definitely um, feel you on that one because I also can't tell you, and I talked about this a little bit in my stalling episode with Shelby, um, but how helpful positive reinforcement has been in decreasing my reactivity because like, man, I, I am just so quick to get frustrated and angry and overwhelmed and I take it out in the worst way possible. That has gone away a lot 
you know, through maturity and growing up and learning other ways to cope, <laughs> but, yeah. but also with positive reinforcement, because it's so much harder for me to be controlling and restrictive and demanding, because when it doesn't go right, I'm not touching the horse most of the time, you know, which this episode yeah. is not <laughs> about not touching yeah. the horse. Um, but um, it's just, it's so much easier to think in a productive looking for things to go right mindset than um, waiting to make corrections all the time, which is what I found I experienced heavily in, um, you know, traditional writing, because most of the time using negative reinforcement, not negative in the sense that it's bad, but in the sense that you are reinforcing the horse's behavior by removing something that it doesn't like or is uncomfortable. So like pulling your horse, uh, pulling on the reins to get your horse to stop. Um, when you release, that is you know, negative reinforcement. This is not news to you. I'm saying it for, for benefit of for benefit of definition. Um, but uh, it's really easy to escalate that and get harsh with it. And also you're working in a mindset that is looking for things that are going wrong and how to correct them. It, it's not truly, um, at least in my opinion, it's not like you're not looking for things to go right and then rewarding for it. It's mostly just reinforcing which is yeah. out of the release. No, and I Does think that that's sense? why it came like so well to me too, is because with problem horses, like I like them so much because it gives me something to fix. Um, and like using plus R more and more and more for that, however cheesy this sounds, it completely changed me as a person. Mm, um, I'm really like, I am outward with it. I will directly tell people that I'm a very patient person because it's true. And I really used to not be patient, uh, whether it be with horses or with people. Yep. And it's now just like using plus R has completely changed my mindset, both with horses and in my daily life. Yeah. And I mean, and like as a student of, you know, clinical mental health counseling, I study a lot about positive psychology. And it does sound super cheesy. And it makes me cringe when I read some of the stuff. But there is evidence <laughs> in it that when you are instead of looking for things to go wrong, you're looking for opportunities to reward and appreciate and for things to go well, then your own mental health gets better. And I've had a very similar experience. Um, it feels like we are living the same life on opposite sides <laughs> of the country. Um, Cause I'm in Arkansas, if you guys don't know, and Kane is in California <laughs> trying All not to burn. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but I, I've definitely experienced that as well. I'm a much more compassionate and empathetic, compassionate and empathetic person now because I'm, I'm looking for, to give people the benefit of the doubt, just like I do horses. Whereas before it was just mostly judgmental and aggravated and <laughs> frustrated yeah, all the time. Aggravated is a very good word. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So how long did it take you to ride, um, with positive reinforcement the first time you did it versus the most recent time? Like, does it get quicker? You think? Oh, 100%. Like, it's it's fluent now. I just, I know that there's a treat pouch on me. I know where it is. My horses know where it is. I never change. Like, it's it's always on my mm -hmm. left hip. Always, always. <laughs> and even with the horses, like, the first time that I rode Plus R was with Lily. Um, but that, you know, that was interesting because I had trained her traditionally, originally. Um, so throughout the years, it just like I said, it very gradually became more and more plus R until I had 
eventually just replaced all of her traditional cues with plus R cues like she is now. Yeah. Um, and it's been so impressive her- to watch. <laughs> like, because no. Lily is, I, I think, and we've talked about this before privately, that um, our mares are very similar, despite being extremely Bay Thoroughbred mare off the track over here. And uh, yours is <laughs> Chestnut Arabian um, on opposite sides of the world. But they're both very sensitive and reactive mares. Um, and frankly, punishment and increased pressure just absolutely sends them over the edge if i'm oh it was it was hugely triggering like lily came from slaughter she wasn't just like at auction she actually shipped to slaughter and so she's just been through these multiple traumatic experiences when i got her she was only halter broke um i was working with a trainer at it at the time um who put her first three rides on her and it's just i had no choice i i had to be good to her and plus our you know again plus our change that about me is I'm a punk. I'm all, I've always been a punk. I'll always be a punk. I love anarchy and chaos and stuff, but I do like rules and plus R has rules. Yes. Like you don't hit the horse and that's a strict rule you have to follow. That's morality to me. Yes. Yeah, um, so it, it definitely was easy to just repeat plus R and get quicker and quicker and quicker with it. Um, I started using on client horses. I think the first one that I did it with was uh, Jack, he was, uh, I believe he was 11. He was a quarter Arab cross, quarter Arab cross. Um, and he had major distrust for humans. He had really dangerous behaviors. He was extremely flighty. He would buck with anything. Um, he had been vet checked and all that, but I knew it was that he had always hated his riders and no one, just no one rode him correctly. Um, but then, you know, like I said, it gets quicker and quicker. It gets natural. You have to make it natural. It's like practicing a language. Exactly. Um, Duolingo reminds me every single day <laughs> I have to practice my Spanish. Um, so if you don't, if you're not practicing it, then yeah, it's going to be difficult. But if you just make it happen and you make it easy for you, um, horses are like cats in that way. You know, if you give your cat a treat at the same time every day, then they're certainly going to remind you that mm-hmm. they need a treat at a specific time. Yep. Um, and so when I finally started horses from absolute ground zero with full plus R, uh, those two horses were Nova and Uma, which we will talk about more. Right. Um, next episode, it just, it made sense. Yeah. Um, and I think I couldn't skip steps or anything. It, It just made sense. Right. And I think you have the intuition that either I haven't because I mean, like, we've also been on different paths and you Mm -hmm. I to give myself some uh, benefit of the doubt here. (laughs) You work with them professionally 24 seven. 24 7 i have seven horses in my barn right now i my boss has like 15 to 20 of them mm-hmm. i'm riding 10 horses a day like they're they're in and out and in and out i am definitely not doing that i mean i definitely am the only trainer out here but it is it is predominantly whenever i have time <laughs> not not uh as my soul focus though i wish it was and maybe someday soon it will be but we'll see <laughs> don't tell my master's program um but you've also always seemed like such an intuitive writer and trainer to me and i remember when i first started talking to you about uh positive reinforcement way back when was that like two years ago um, oh it must be longer at this point time yeah is, time doesn't exist i know <laughs> <laughs> i feel you um but i i remember um we got into an argument about it and you were like yeah i don't know about that and then it was interesting because i i watched you come to it and then just fucking fly off the rails and pass me on it and i was like shit <laughs> 
factual and that's why I have to credit you with it because I know you're all about (laughs) science and facts and I'm all about science and facts and everything that you were bringing to the table was just like this is scientifically proven um and that's why I was like yes this is awesome because I had things to follow I had things to watch and I just had that experience and working with horses like I said when I started teaching Lily tricks or just just to come to me with a whistle like that was genuine body communication and just communication from Mm -hmm. one being to the next it wasn't me trying to force her to do something you know right and and that's I mean I just I I agree on the comment about rules that um never really made sense to me because I'm also a very rule-oriented person. <laughs> I do very well when I have guidelines and a solid understanding of what I'm supposed to be doing. And personally, and this might not be everyone's experience, but for me with traditional training, it was a lot of like really ambiguous, ambivalent, just... It was okay. guidelines. Yeah. And it was mostly just like, all right, inside leg to outside rain. And I would be like, why? And they would be like, well, because the horse, that's how their body works. And I was like, that... And that's the problem. Is most <laughs> trainers don't even understand how that works. I know. And the like, the words... Us, we've always taken everything so seriously. We take position seriously. We take correctness seriously. Um, but... Like, I even remember trying to get a horse on a trailer one time and someone's just like, well, you have to pull at this time and release at this time. But even they were not being specific about it. And I was like, this is getting nowhere. It doesn't make any sense to us. And if it doesn't make sense to us, it's definitely not going to make sense to the horse. And I just I remember being so confused all the time and comparing it to math because my math skills are not fantastic. I am very number dyslexic, which I understand is dyscalculia. (laughs) Um, But math has never made a whole lot of sense to me. And that's how writing felt. I was always like, I don't know, dressage is like math. There are just rules and I have to accept them without understanding. And then when I started learning about positive reinforcement, it was only then that I understood why the things that worked in traditional training did work because they were working through negative reinforcement. And then I was like, oh, wait, I don't know that I want to use that all the time, you know, that I don't know about all that. And then, um, you know, here we are now, <laughs> yeah. a couple of years Which, later. I mean, on my end, I still, you know, I still value that correctness. And I still like, as you know, I'll, I'll like message you out of the blue because you shared a video. I'm like, hey, this is why that's happening. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool. And it's awesome. And, and I love that. You know, it's, when I do teach movements, it's still from that dressage foundation and like I said just before is that a lot of trainers really don't understand why the horse is doing it they know how to do it which is great and a lot of times they can teach people to do it but even like with my working student when she came to me and she just was like I get inside leg to outside rein but I don't know how to apply it because I don't know how it works Um, I think you still need to carry that over into plus r especially if you're going to be using plus R for performance or for sport Mm -hmm. um, or for just like overall riding horses, especially, you know, if you want to be teaching higher or more advanced stuff like collection and extension, it's not just the big step, go faster, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I definitely think, of course, biomechanics and proper carriage all play into this. And Mm -hmm. um, I think that there is a lot of lack of understanding in Mm -hmm. all realms. I know lots of positive reinforcement people that do not have horses that carry themselves correctly. And I also know many uh, traditional trainers and um, horses that don't carry themselves correctly. And um, a lot of that just comes from not understanding what the horse is supposed to look like and also, if they think they know what it's supposed to look like, then you get a very posed 
model of it that's forced Mm -hmm. instead of the horse actually working in tandem with itself. And a lot of that also, I think, seriously derives from a misunderstanding of behavior and personality and um, what those things mean. Um, You know, if a horse is pinning its ears when you ask it to go forward or you put your leg on, it's not because it's lazy um, or because it doesn't like your leg. There are endless numbers <laughs> of possible explanations for that. The horse could have a rib out. He could be having sore muscles yeah. on that side. Your saddle could be shifting when you put your leg on. It could be bridging. You know, your seat bones could be digging into his back. You could be pulling on his mouth simultaneously, and it doesn't make sense. Like, there are endless, <laughs> endless explanations. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we want to close up the question, it's it's – I think the last thing I have to say is on both sides of the spectrum, whether you're traditional or plus R or something completely different, many more people need to be working with professionals. Um, You know, plus R really gives you this great sense of things being possible, but it's especially stuff like that where it's advanced for a reason. It's extremely advanced. And I really, I always encourage people, especially if they're doing plus R, where you can get pushy horses, you can get mouthy horses, or things can go wrong and you can get frustrated, reach out to professionals, work with professionals. It's, you know, you even in traditional, you don't just start horses under saddle. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to learn how. Right. And especially that applies with positive reinforcement because it's not the norm. So it's mm-hmm. even harder to get access to that information. Like you and I have done it the hard way where we've yeah. taken the time to sift through articles and academic journals and books and then trial and error <laughs> all the time. Yeah. And um, I think it. I, I don't have anybody in my area and I worked really closely with Adele online Um, But it can be really difficult, especially if you aren't willing to take the initiative to teach yourself. That's the key point. (laughs) That that is the difference. I think I think you absolutely can teach yourself how to do it, but it takes a lot of time, and it is much easier to just have somebody who can be like, "Mm, "Your horse needs to lift in his shoulders and engage his hind end." He's not doing that because you're blocking him X, Y, and Z. You know, instead of uh, just going months and then being like, "Oh." Now yeah. I see it because it's right in front of me in the book. That makes total sense instead, <laughs> instead of it happening I mean, in the even moment. Just like cross training your knowledge. Like I'm again, I'm grateful. I'm very lucky. I work for a very, very amazing dressage trainer and she doesn't do plus R, but I can at least understand, you know, really what's so advanced about this and learn it from that and then think, okay, how can I do this with plus R? Right. And I think that that is the big difference too. And another small caveat that I want to say before we wrap up this question about professionals is there's a tendency to, um, blindly give over responsibility to professionals. Um, you know, when you pay a trainer, you expect them to train you correctly, but I would, very rarely ever not ask why the entire time they're telling me to do something. And I can't tell you how many trainers I rode with when I was younger. And I'd be like, well, why? And they were like, well, cuz. And obviously, (laughs) it was more nuanced than that. But I was like, okay, or it was a circular definition that I was like, all right, I don't understand. All right, fine, I must just be stupid, you know. (laughs) And um, then being like, well, it's right, because it is. And because the professional said it, and they have more experience. And if I go against it, then I'm being disrespectful. And, um, you know, I think, I think that there's a lot of value in what any trainer has to say, and you can definitely take parts that you like. But I would also really encourage you, regardless of your interest in reading, if you own and or interact with a horse, I solely or um, what is the word? 
something to the effect of completely believe it is your responsibility to do your own research and corroborate what your trainer is saying um, mm-hmm. from science, not just, you know, other conventional trainers. <laughs> um, whether whether you're doing positive or negative reinforcement training, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter whichever you're doing, but I think it is very important that you not blindly follow. That's where danger happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So next question, uh, Jesus Christ, this is <laughs> not going well time-wise. <laughs> There's so much to talk about. Um, okay, so before we get into actual um, questions and breaking down riding with clicker training, um, where can people find about what you find out about what you do and like all of your pictures, social media, and keep up with you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram and I have a corresponding Facebook page. I'm Meyer Horsemanship. Meyer is M-E-Y-E-R. Um, and then I have a website that is MeyerEquine.Wix.com slash Meyer Horsemanship. Um, I post my sale ads there if I have horses available. Otherwise, I'm pretty primarily on Instagram. Yeah, and you do a lot of blog posts and educational stuff on Instagram as well. Do you have yeah. a blog on your site? Um, I have my Instagram leaked on my site. I don't think okay. I actually have a blog there. Come on, Kane. Get on it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you need to put some of those things that you've sent me, like the really long files, in a blog. But also, then you're just... <laughs> That's actually a pretty good idea, because I really don't post on Instagram very often. But <sighs> yeah, I'll take food for thought, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, do it. Do it. <laughs> Give away your knowledge for free. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Let us move into actually covering riding um, with positive reinforcement and clicker training. Sorry, trying to hold in a burp. It wasn't working. (laughs) And it wouldn't be my podcast without me burping at least once. Um, (laughs) um, Okay, so, um, you know, a lot of people that will be listening to this episode um, will be at varying levels in training with their horses. So I think um, we should discuss kind of each side of the equation for horses that have been trained under saddle or broken, which is not my favorite word in the world. It makes me sad. Started. I, I <laughs> yes. Think started. Yes. I think started is a kinder way to say that, but you know, semantics. Um, so, so horses that have been started and horses that are totally new to riding, um, you know, like I've got a lot of babies out here right now that I will be responsible for starting, which is a very tall order for me because I've never done that before, but I'm really excited to start. And, um, like with Lexi, um, she's a three-year-old thoroughbred that never raised because bless her heart, she was too tiny, but I think it was probably a good thing for her because she has the most beautiful feet on the face of the earth and she has never been trimmed. (laughs) I'm like so appreciative of that. Um, cause I'm reading a lot about, um, what diet and early shoes, um, being put on horses can do. And, um, it's not an exact science, but there are a lot of theories uh, supporting it. And I'm just like, oof. Uh, but that is not this episode. <laughs> um, there's so many tangents to go on. Um, but yeah, so I'll be starting her as well as probably Azula and the two boys that we have out here. Um, because I'm pretty sure our Appaloosa one will be leaving before I get to that. Um, but yeah, so I've got a lot of work to do here. And uh, full disclosure, I have never started a horse uh, before ever, and nor have I ridden with totally positive reinforcement because when I started, well, Zoe got diagnosed with kiss and spine. <laughs> I was wondering why her training wasn't going very well because she was still very pissy under saddle, and I was like, what is going on? I'm doing everything right. It was because she was in pain, so let's keep that one in mind. <laughs> yeah, um, literally. Um, but yeah, okay, so 
the main question we get asked as positive reinforcement trainers is how do you ride with positive reinforcement? Because it looks very different, at least especially in the beginning stages, I should say. Um, so obviously there's a lot to cover here, but we need to first talk about ideology. So, um, you know, we've been discussing the differences between traditional and positive reinforcement, but I think here we should um, probably clarify for the sake of what we're going to be talking about. Um, you know, do you combine negative reinforcement and positive re reinforcement when riding? Um, or is it possible to do them separately? Should you? And under what circumstances do you use what? Go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to be straight up with you. I thought I was going to slowly move Nova into more traditional riding. Uh, Nova, for those of you who don't know, is the very first horse that I started from literal ground zero and only through plus R. And by ground zero, I mean he was feral. He wasn't just <laughs> unhandled. He wasn't just green. He was absolutely feral. You could not get a halter on him. His figure could not trim him. He could not get vaccinations from the vet. Um, he just was a mess. Uh, he had been a stallion until he was seven years old. He had been abandoned, uh, did not interact with other horses, did not interact with people. Um, and yeah. I didn't even know <laughs> um, all so that. So when on. his owner rescued him, she just put him in her backyard for like four years with her pony and her alpacas. It was Who great wouldn't? for him. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> but, and it was great. He got to settle and learn people and be around other animals. Um, but it was very clear that he, at least at the very least, you know, to, for his longevity on his life, be haltered, have his feet done, right. be handled by the vet and get his teeth done, you know, stuff like that. Um, so I really thought when I had started riding him that I would slowly move him into more traditional riding. That absolutely did not and could not happen. And I realized that very quickly because he made that very clear. Um, you can associate traditional cues, like how you use your reins and how you use your legs. Um, for him, he's very sensitive, very reactive. So even that is kind of different. He's an extremely unique horse. I call him my greatest creation. Um, <laughs> <A> little unicorn. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I think I'm going to go ahead and stop you <laughs> because you, there, there are so many points in there. And I think... A, the, there's a really important distinction to be made between um, cues that are trained through negative reinforcement, traditional training, pressure and release, and tactile cues. Um, because I always get asked, like, well, how do you ride? Because if your leg's on the horse, <laughs> then it's pressure and then it's negative reinforcement. No, it's not. Um, it can be. And that is dependent on the horse. So for yes. Zoe, for instance, and probably Nova too, based on what you've said, um, when I ride her, uh, me applying any amount of connection with my leg other than just laying on her side, and even that sometimes results in a tail swish and occasionally an ear pin and a nostril snarl. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and it's, it's very obvious that she is not okay with that. And I would suspect that it's due to the association of what I'm asking, as well as, you know, probably pain from kissing spine. And when I ask her to, um, you know, drop her head inside leg to outside rein, that sort of thing, traditionally, she must lift her back. And if she's not strong enough, or it hurts to do so, she's going to resist my leg and then start to associate my leg with something that hurts. And I think mm -hmm. that's where her training went wrong. So in order to be able to use my leg, which I haven't decided when I start riding her, I think I think probably my goal is going to be to use my leg to communicate, um, you know, like 
laterally and um, connection wise, not so much as going forward, because that's been her answer all the time. And maybe we'll work on refining it. It's really going to be dependent on her and what she decides is okay. Um, And then just use vocal cues for um, acceleration and that sort of thing, because um, she is so reactive and has such a bad association with my leg, particularly. Um, So in order to train those things um, and to be able to use my leg normally, so to speak, would be uh, to go through a process called counter conditioning, which is reassociating those cues and making the positive reinforcer more motivating um, than the negative reinforcement association. Yeah. Um, so, and I assume that's probably what you've done, um, at least in part with Nova. Actually, well, Nova, you know, it was a little different because he was a totally blank slate. So yeah. for me, that made it easier because okay, um, he go. didn't have those like bizarre or those like, <laughs> bizarre spine. Like, she was she associated with associated pain, and Nova had never had pain. Right. Okay. Um, but it's still, you know, you know, if you want to make your riding still somewhat normal you know i say that in like a traditional horse world sense right you can associate those traditional cues but they have to come from plus r especially right. if it's with a plus r horse so could you so, explain for everyone listening how you would go about counter conditioning that and because i think that's the biggest thing that um i see when people start trying to ride with positive reinforcement is that they use negative reinforcement cues but still click and treat so putting the leg on to ask for forward and then when the horse goes forward you click and treat but the reason the horse is going forward is not because he knows he's going to get a treat it's usually because he knows the negative reinforcement cue and that's what's driving the behavior he wants you to take your leg off and then um so that's what we call negative reinforcement with a cherry on top and um you can also run into issues with um the poison cue, which hasn't been totally studied and solidified. Um, as far as I know, there's only really been one study from Jesus Rosales Ruiz and uh, Mary Hunter on that. But um, that's where the horse doesn't know what reinforcer is coming. So you can imagine the amount of stress and confusion of not knowing um, whether you're going to have something you don't like applied or something that you do like applied. And um, uh Uh, Alexander Curlin always makes it akin to if your boss comes up to you at work and says, hey, I need to see you in my office after the day is over. And then you spend the whole day stressing because you don't know whether you're going to get fired or get a raise. And so that's a good example. Yeah. And I always use that because I think it's abundantly clear. Like everyone, I think, has experienced that in one way or another. So you can imagine the emotional turmoil. And I think that that is really important to keep in mind when you are riding uh, mixing, if you do. And um, so you were saying with Nova that it's predominantly positive reinforcement. And um, so for people that might not be using predominantly positive reinforcement, um, I would just really (laughs) caution you to be very (laughs) deliberate and... um, clear about when yeah, you're using it. Yeah, be clear. It. That's the main thing. Yeah. Because, I mean, if the horse has any ambivalence about whether he's going to, you know, be expecting a release of pressure or a treat, you can imagine the amount of emotional turmoil and discomfort uh, and anxiety that would come from that. And I think that's a lot of what happened with my mare as well. <laughs> so, Well, and, and a lot of what happens too is people think, you know, you're adding the uh, reinforcement from it rather, and they always hear like, don't use pressure or it's responding to when you take pressure away. And it's, you know, what I actually tell a lot of people is pressure is your friend. You know, it's, it's 
the idea is that you're not teaching from pressure, but when you're associating cues, um, pressure is your friend. And I actually have a, a really good example, um, again, with Nova, who is, he was a blank slate. Um, so he, I didn't have to do counter conditioning, but mm-hmm. you know, if you think about it, you can really use this example to your advantage. Yeah. Um, when I was teaching him side passing, side stepping, whatever you want to call it, um, I originally taught him to move with me and to mirror my steps. Um, Mm -hmm. And it started with just walking forward and then it went to walking backwards. Um, When we would walk backwards, it was associating that cue. And so it was like, okay, walk versus back. Mm -hmm. Um, And I actually also, I always use a jump word. So I'll say Nova back or let's back or, and let's go back or something like Mm -hmm. that. So it's never just back. Um, Why do you do that? Why? Um, It, it's, uh, what's the word? It tunes them in. It prepares okay. them. Um, and especially for my horses, it helps them learn their name. Like everyone mm. knows Lily back or Nova back or Bella back. Right. Um, that actually came in handy. Um, I didn't expect this, but it came in handy when I was working with multiple horses. I'd be riding Lily and I'd have Bella in the arena with me and I'd be asking Lily to canter and Bella to stay. And it works mm. because they register that their name came before that. Um, but especially with hot horses, you know, again, Lily or Nova, they're very hot. They're really anticipating cues. Yeah. And if I can use a word before it, like and or their name or let's, those mm-hmm. words don't sound like canter. Canter has a hard C or trot right. has a T at the beginning and the end. I even with Lily was starting to run into issues where I'd say, okay, and <laughs> she'd like jolt. So yeah. I had to train myself to say, all right, instead of okay. Yeah. And um, I, I definitely, now that you're talking about it, I incorporate that in a different way. Um, you know, when I did train traditionally, um, the uh, one good thing that my trainer did teach me was that um, when you're lunging, instead of saying canter, because it, it is uh, jarring, um, <clears throat> she'd be like canter. So you kind of had that little prelude or cheerot. And so you had a little bit yeah. of introduction. And I do that with Zoe, especially with her um, side pass movement, because I taught her to target her hip first and then just kind of uh, – I guess, added or built on top of that, the full side pass on the ground movement by um, just kind of holding both of my hands out like I'm directing traffic, and then uh, motioning them towards myself. So then she just guessed, (laughs) because she's Zoe. And then she took a full like crossover front and crossover behind step sideways. And, um, and it was beautiful. It was wonderful. But she loves that behavior. <laughs> and it resulted in me nearly having a broken foot. And that was not fun. And I was like, okay, we really have to put this on stimulus control. And I notice that when I take long breaks, like I have been lately, because I've been super busy with school, then um, that behavior kind of has a little bit of a resurgence <laughs> past just being cued. And um, so I think that that is actually a really helpful tip. Because um instead of her because she's she's a lot like what you're explaining that she gets really excited and she's like look at all the things I can do I can lower my head and move sideways and paw at the same time and I'm like that's wonderful let's not know please for your safety and for mine so I definitely think just giving her enough notice to be like okay something's about to happen just pay attention and here we go you know and then it's a slower and on that side note, well, I have to get to my example too, but, but look at us, we're, we're diverting. Are we surprised? Again. <laughs> but 
But um, no, Nova does the same thing. He loves his uh, side action and he loves his circle action. So he really swings his hips around and he'll do it pretty fast sometimes. Um, so but many uh, when you mentioned it was the way that you said trot, I actually do this for my traditional horses as well. Yeah. It's usually like let's trot. Like trot is fast if I'm going up mm-hmm. to trot, and then it's and trot to go down from trot. Uh, so yeah. you can even use yeah, just the I do that downs too. of things. Yeah, that I I totally do that, especially lunging. And when I was uh, starting to rework Zoe under saddle, I'd be like and trot or the. The dressage world loves the sound for coming down. And um, so I use that a lot too. And um, Zoe was always phenomenal on the lunge line because I I never had to carry a whip or anything. My trainer always got mad at me because she was like, you need it just in case. And I was like, I really don't. She knows the words very well. And um, so I would always, coming down from canter, be like, and you're right. (laughs) Just like that. So yeah, I mean, it's it's your emotion. It's your tone of voice. Yeah, exactly. Lowering um, the energy. But on that, for the counter-conditioning example, mm-hmm. um, this works for both your your blank slates and your actually, you know, your traditional that you want to transfer to plus R. Uh, my example is, uh, as I was saying, like teaching him to back and to mirror my steps. So when I started sidestepping, he, you know, he's a really bright horse and he's a really quick horse. So he caught on right away. He's, he started crossing his front legs and it didn't take much. Like it was maybe like shifts of my weight or my posture, trying to just somehow in my body, um, encourage him to move the hind end of his body with his front end. Uh, but overall he started sidestepping and he actually started side passing. And then I, put a cue to that it was side um and we got that both ways on the ground no ropes no touching nothing it was just that he was moving with me and it got to the point also that I could stand and say side and he would side pass towards Mm -hmm. me um so then I started thinking because I originally didn't even think that I was going to be riding this horse but then when that started uh coming to the picture I was like okay how am I going to transfer this into the saddle? Because I'm obviously, he, he can't move towards me because I'm going to be in the saddle. I'm not going to be on the ground. Right. Um, so I associated his already learned plus RQ, which was side taught with plus R. And I just added, like, I placed my hand on his side. Mm-hmm. Um, And so it's not that he was reacting to my hand or the pressure on my hand. Remember, pressure is your friend. It's not something that you want to be releasing, but it's something you can associate with a cue as long as the cue is learned with plus R. Right. So So the pressure on my hand, I put it where my stirrup would be or where my foot in the stirrup would be. And he just eventually learned like, oh, this means the same exact thing. So when I got into the saddle, all I had to do was just place my foot where my hand had been and say side. And again, it's not that he's reacting to the pressure from my hand or foot. It's he's reacting to the voice command. Right. So, and that is, uh, the technical term would be a cue transfer. I know you know this. (laughs) And, um, so I, I think that just speaks to the brilliance of your training and making sure that you truly use successive approximations because you're going very slowly. First, you get the behavior by teaching it in a very, um, I guess, uh, 
oh, what is the word? Um, like an intuitive way where the horse can, they, they do learn through mirroring, definitely. And, um, watching other people, which was not understood until recently. Um, but they do learn that way. Like you could theoretically paw at your horse, <laughs> especially yeah. a clicker. Oh, some train. of my horses learn targeting from watching another horse target a cone. Yeah, it's ex- not, exactly. It's, it's very quick. Yeah. And so then you, um, so you do it by moving sideways and then you start associating that with a word and then the word starts to predict that you're going to begin moving sideways and then he does. So then he starts to anticipate it by then moving sideways and then you fade out the actual sideways movement, just doing it off the word. And then, um, you add the tactile cue. So this horse has not learned, uh, pressure and release. So on a completely blank slate, he doesn't know that he's supposed to yield to that pressure. But since he now knows the word, then that provides additional information. So then you do the same thing, new cue, old cue, and then you get the behavior um, by adding your hand. Your hand begins to predict that the word is going to come. And then eventually you can fade out the word altogether. And then, of course, because you're a brilliant trainer, you know that when you get on, you might still have to use uh, the word because you've um, you've changed a variable because now instead of you being on the ground, you're now on his back. And environment plays such a huge role in mm-hmm. learning it for any species. So when you change one thing, uh, you have to be sure that you're only changing one thing. And um, that's when you, you got the um, the sideways from the voice cue and the leg cue, and then it all becomes very intuitive. And you've given the horse enough pieces to be able to solve the puzzle. And I think that that is the biggest part um, that our biggest, I guess, uh, benefit to positive reinforcement training because you really have to think critically about how you can give the horse all the skills and the tools they need to be able to solve the puzzle. Because I think a lot of times, like for the trailer loading example, specifically, like you have, you're presenting a horse with a box. Sometimes the horse has never even been in a stall and now you're expecting it to get into the box and you haven't worked on anything prior and (laughs) you're not giving the horse any tools to solve the puzzle. So breaking it down to its smallest component really not only builds the horse's confidence, but also builds his ability to be able to be equipped to solve the puzzle, um, in general. And that's, that's why I love you because you're so brilliant and you can just do those things. <laughs> and that's oh, and time. Time is so important because a lot of people will get they get greedy and greed is a really big thing, especially in plus R. You know, things will suddenly really work out and then it's like, okay, I want more of that. Right. And you have to know when to stop. But also with time, you know, like I said, it wasn't just that I would walk sideways and know and say side and Nova would walk with me. I had to also check that if I stood still and had the voice. Cube, right. that he would still do it to you make have sure to make sure you're giving the time to for you and the horse to understand that both of you are on the same page and the horse is going is actually responding to what you are hoping they are responding right. you have to test that and i am so bad about that in particular because i want to help so bad <laughs> that sometimes <laughs> especially like with the back cue Um, Because I've worked on this a lot with Zoe on being able to tell her to back from anywhere around her. And it wasn't until um, I worked with Cindy Martin and she watched me do it and she was like, Jill, she's not backing up because of your vocal cue. It's because you're leaning so far forward, you're about to lose your balance. (laughs) I'm like, because you're you're pushing her back with your body, not physically, but I was just I was giving her so many hints, which is great in the beginning processes. Uh, but not for making sure that uh, you're isolating the variable to make sure that the cue is actually working. And um, 
It's just so frustrating about you because you're just so good at those things. <laughs> well, I say the same thing about when you're teaching the walk forward or the backup. You know, if you walk too fast forward or you back too fast, even though you're not adding physical pressure, your body language is adding pressure. Absolutely. If you're just doing things quickly, you know, you have to wait for your horse. Usually if I'm teaching the horse to step forward with me or to step backwards with me, I take one step and I wait because I need them to take that step next so I can keep going. It's very slow. It looks very boring eventually <laughs> it will get fast but it cannot be fast off the start right and I think one of my favorite quotes I forget who says it but slow down you'll go faster um <laughs> especially applies to horse training if you really take the time to give the horse all the tools he needs to be able to sort out how to take those next steps you're gonna go so so fast and I think it's just it's so Especially with horses like Zoe and Lily, they are the greatest teachers of patience and uh, also body awareness. Because like you were saying, if your energy is really high and you're all over the place and you're like clicking and then you're like making sure you're monitoring their behavior and you're moving around all erratically, you rise their energy and horses that are super sensitive like Zoe is, then you end up with a very anxious animal that's just matching your energy because they're like, what are you worried about? Okay, well, here we go. And I have to be so on my game about dropping my shoulders and breathing and all of my cues are very slow relaxed cues um one of our most difficult things has been like walking around at liberty because she'll walk mm -hmm. faster and cut me off so <laughs> an effort to like be like okay i did it now we're done give me a treat and i'm like okay <laughs> no but then that also tells me that i'm not reinforcing her enough and i'm not making duration clear enough and that is one of the other things that i love about positive reinforcement because the horses are so like wonderfully enabled to communicate to you when they don't understand something. And um, me just expecting her to take 10 steps without reinforcement, she's not, and then she's cutting me off is because she's not understanding the concept of duration and what the goal is. She's like, all right, I don't get it, <laughs> you know? Um, and so I'm sure you've experienced that in some. Well, it's, they're both hot horses. They're hot girls. Um, and you can't, you really can't, bring that much energy to hot horses usually you have to have much 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 quieter energy and then mm -hmm. it's vice versa for your really your slower horses um you have to bring a lot of energy to the table because you're trying to balance that out mm -hmm. and also encourage the horse to be in those states of mind and like i said with zoe it's been very therapeutic especially i used to consider myself a very anxious person and as somebody that's got adhd i tend to be a little bit sporadic and um so <laughs> well, i'm on the same page <laughs> yeah so it's definitely helped a lot in my own body awareness and awareness of where my mind is at because if i am anywhere but with her things do not go well <laughs> and i have to yeah. be paying attention and level because the second my emotion goes out the window so does hers and then we just end up in a not a great situation no you're, you're totally right it's therapeutic because for my adhd as well it's that the horses help it is you have to focus on them and you have to be with them mm -hmm. and it's just it's very calming and it's very focusing mm -hmm. for sure and it's also something you love to do so it makes it a little bit easier yeah. <laughs> okay so the question was can you combine negative reinforcement and positive reinforcement when you're riding we're on the same page because I was about to get right back to that. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So converting a minus R horse to a plus R horse is totally 
like probable and you're capable of mixing i'm not against it at all Mm -hmm. but you have to be aware um i know some plus r trainers are really against it i'm really not but i stress that you have to be aware of what you're doing and very careful with your stimuluses yeah Um, it's hard to do them separately uh because once your horse i'll be honest once your horse gets a feel for plus r and the kind of person that you become um when you're minus r versus plus r they 100 percent prefer plus r um right some horses, like, you know, my really sensitive horses, again, working with problem horses, I get a lot of those. They'll even resent you for your negative reinforcement or they'll tend to lash out more if you bring enough positive reinforcement and then you just take it away from them. Right. Well, um, suddenly you're a very confusing horses, stimulus. Oh, no, I was just, sorry. It's There must be a delay. Um, you're, you become a very confusing stimulus. And that's where yes. I, I completely agree with you. I'm not against mixing. But I am against mixing as a beginner, I, especially yes. in riding, because it is all in one environment. Whereas, you know, if you have a problem behavior, like your horse won't stand in the cross ties, you can train with positive reinforcement to, you know, make that a good place. And then you can go off on your ride and everything is fine. But you also run into a problem if you're only using positive reinforcement for problem behaviors and you start to associate pro- uh, positive yes. reinforcement <laughs> with scary situations. So uh, it's it's all about being very deliberate and understanding why you're doing what you're doing and when it's okay. And that can be really, really overwhelming and seem like this imposing task for people that are just getting started. And uh, it's it's such a hard question to answer um, for me because I'm like, yes, you can mix, but it depends <laughs> because yeah. if if you're not careful, then you might end up doing more harm than good. And but then there's a flip side because it depends on the horse and their horse's interpretation. If the horse doesn't mind it you're okay. But if the horse is like, Zoe, I would never, it will not work. (laughs) And um, I can very confidently say that. But some of our other horses out here, it has worked beautifully, and they don't care. (laughs) But there have been instances where there have been horses um, that I've been on and used positive reinforcement to help with a mounting block or something. And then when I get on, they're like, all right, how do I earn reinforcement now? And then I've been like, "Uh, shit. Some horses really can easily merge between the two and, you know, just others can't. Like I have one of my horses right now is a Gypsy Vanner and Shire Cross. And for him, mixing is absolutely no problem. He has absolutely no um, negative reactions to negative reinforcement. And it's not this drastic difference between negative and positive reinforcement from him. But I'll also say, I think personally, it's a breed thing because with my Arabs, all of my Arabs I do plus R with, and they do not accept minus R. Um, with my plus R horses, I just cannot use negative reinforcement with them. They adamantly tell me that it is not allowed. Um, yeah, I think if, if I have to train, if I have to train a horse traditionally, um, I, like you said, um, make the boundaries clear. Mm -hmm. Um, I typically, if that horse is traditional, I avoid using food when I'm riding. Um, I'll use it sparingly with lunging. Uh, but then stuff like tying, grooming, bathing, target practice, those can all happily be plus R. Um, and I wonder, like you said, it has to be specific areas, specific instances. Um, you have to be really aware of how you're meshing things. Right. And I would say too, something to be aware of is that, um, you know, if the horse is really not enjoying the traditional or negative reinforcement riding, um, 
using positive reinforcement, and uh, this sounds like I'm advocating for never using positive reinforcement, <laughs> but if you're in the cross ties and you teach your horse that the cross ties is a really good place to be, and then they learn that when they leave the cross ties and you go ride, it's not a pleasant experience for them, you might find a horse that doesn't want to go to the arena. <laughs> and um, so what I did to combat that a little bit was with some of our horses that were particularly girthy or had some issues in the cross ties is I would get them over it and then fade it out. And then they would just occasionally get treats in the cross ties so that it didn't, which sounds so sad. Like I hate that, <laughs> but well, and it's hard too. Cause uh, like we're both fluid with it. And yeah. most of the time, especially if we're working with client horses, those clients are not fluid with it. So the horse gets really used to how quickly your rate of reinforcement is and that you're just, you know, I, we both are, we're treat happy. Mm -hmm. We're just going to give treats and treats for all these little tiny things. Cause it makes both us and our horses happy. And a lot of those owners are not going to be doing that. So especially if you're going to be pursuing like a professional route with uh, working with horses, you have to know what your audience is and what your clientele is. Right. And I think it's especially, um, it speaks to the, uh, God, I'm having such a hard time talking today. It speaks to the importance and the power of personal education, because the reason it works for both of us is because we have taken it upon ourselves to really understand this and be able to mm -hmm. look at all of the nuances before things happen to um, try and mitigate anything going wrong. And um, that is where I, I get really like, I want to help you, but I also don't know that it's going to be helpful long term because then you have a horse that has all of a sudden been introduced to this world of you get things that you really like for doing things that I really like. And then we're both really happy and it's a great experience to going back to, okay, now I'm kind of in a militant nature. And to that point, I want to say that mixing I would never, ever mix if I was using um, particularly escalating negative reinforcement, where if the horse, say, doesn't stop when you pull on the reins, you pull harder and harder and harder and harder, or you kick harder and harder and harder if the horse won't go forward. I think that that would really exacerbate the problem. I think the reason that, like, when you're talking about the horses that work well with mixing, I, I would bet money <laughs> that um, <laughs> it's because the negative reinforcement is very pleasantly done and is yes. not overly <laughs> aversive to the horses. Of course, inherently it is aversive because you put your leg on you squeeze until they move forward you know i mean it's it's they're moving forward because they want you to take your leg off but it's not i guess overly offensive to them and it's not painful so the horse is better able to um cope and work within that in a way that's makes the training more enjoyable for them. That was the most diplomatic way I've ever tried to <laughs> formulate a sentence. I think, well, I think a way that we could wrap up this question is just like, Finally. if you are really against giving food to your horse when you're riding, at least if you're going to be incorporating and meshing and mixing, let your plus R influence your minus R. Let your riding be really gentle and really forgiving and really understanding. Um, and really give your clear. Horse as much reward as you can without the food, as much release as you can. Um, plus R is absolutely a mindset if you make it. Mm -hmm. And also something else to note, if you're really against food and you have a 
particularly itchy horse at all times of the year, <laughs> you can use scratches, but it depends yes. on the horse. Some horses, like um, Zoe's very particular about scratches. I, I would assume it's due to the ulcer history and her skin being sensitive. Um, but she loves scratches now. Like I call her my little filly sometimes because she'll just put her butt to me. And yes, it's dangerous. And I should really curb that behavior. But it's so damn cute. I can't help it. I'm like, yes, I will scratch your butt. <laughs> but if your horse really loves scratches and you can take the time to find where they like scratches conveniently, most of them really like it up around their withers, which is right where your hands are when you're riding. And you can reinforce with scratches, but you have to be sure that that is what is, you know, your actual reinforcement. Um Otherwise. Once again, our horses are the same exact thing. <laughs> Lily is an addict when it comes to scratches. Yes. She especially loves her belly button itch. I actually <laughs> taught her rear command from scratches and itches. That's we had so no funny. treats involved. It's possible. Yeah, and that's a super high energy big yes. movement behavior and that just speaks that's a perfect example to speak to the power of scratches and reinforcement that the animals actually like and so if your horse likes scratches you don't have to like like with azula which at this point it's kind of looking like because she's 10 months old um it's kind of looking like she's not going to be a racehorse because she is uh very small <laughs> But, um, you know, in planning for the potential for that to happen, I'm probably not going to use food rewards with her. She is very, very motivated by scratches. And um, people are more likely to reward her with scratches at the track than uh, with food. And I don't want her to be set up for failure to be doing behaviors and then expecting um, food going to another home. Or, well, she won't go to another home, but she'll be somewhere else for a while, um, you know, and then I have this horse that's begging everyone for food and suddenly getting punished um, because she goes through an extinction burst, you know, so, yeah, um, yeah, I think that that's another really important facet to consider, but it depends on the horse. If your horse doesn't like scratches, it's not reinforcing. <laughs> um, okay, I think we can let this question die without beating the proverbial dead horse <laughs> or <laughs> scratching the positive reinforcement horse to death. Um, okay, so moving on. There's so many pieces to riding. So now that we've covered most of it, <laughs> we're going to break it down all the way to the beginning. So... Um, the biggest question people have about riding and using treats is, you know, can horses get sick from this? And uh, is that true in your experience? And what do you use for reinforcement while you're riding? Um, I do think it's a possibility that if you're not aware of what you're feeding and are not careful with it, or you work your horse too hard or too hot, then mm -hmm. yes, you'll run into issues. I never have. Um, I'm very careful with what I use. Most of my plus R horses are bitless. And so <laughs> we don't really run into an issue of like choking or anything. Um, and actually with Nova, um, I, again, I had a lot of goals for him. I did I have trained him to carry a bridle in a bit, um, but he very quickly got super frustrated with how the treats would build up in his mouth mm. and the foam that would build around his mouth when he was carrying a bit. So I actually just abandoned it. I was like, okay, he's perfectly fine bitless. And, you know, kudos to myself if I can train my horse to do all these amazing things without needing a bit. Right. Um, and I think that but, that is a, a huge 
portion of it too because i mean like it's a largely individual because i've never had that problem with zoe and i have ridden her several times with positive reinforcement with a bit and i never ran into that issue um oh really too yeah i've, yeah. I've never had her be frustrated with eating the treats it was just nova and it was new <laughs> to me but i was like okay i'll work with it yeah and it's that's speaks to the individuality again we are students of the horse they are the experts um mm-hmm. but also that um oh oh what was i oh okay so um, a lot of people ask about equipment, too, um, and that's later on, but I think it fits well here. Um, so using things like bits and uh, tools that are designed to be used uh, in the traditional sense in the negative reinforcement pressure release, um, training bits and things, I mean, I would say is probably very similar, <laughs> at least the way I did it with Zoe, too, is very similar to uh, training tactile cues and teaching a different way that the horses respond to it. Um, so for Zoe, a bit is not entirely necessary, um, but it gives her a lot more information about where I wanted her head placement than, um, the bit listed. And you and I talked about this for a long time (laughs) one day, (laughs) and we could have a whole episode about this. And I did an episode a long time ago about it. Um, it's called something to the effect of why bit list may not be better than bits or something. Um, but she had, she has a tendency at baseline to come behind the vertical and she is less likely in my experience to do that with a bit than she is, um, when working off of nose pressure off of a bitless, um, which is why I wanted to transition to a neck rope, but that didn't happen <laughs> because of the kissing spine. Can't ride right now, but we're working on it. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I think it is, it is really dependent on the horse and using tools completely depends on the way that you use them. Um, you know, I mean, bits can be used aversively. I don't know that they're necessarily comfortable for horses. I think some horses, like you said, um, with Nova versus Lily, some horses have no problem with bits. Other horses, not a huge fan. I would venture to say that horses that, um, are taught how to, uh, self bridle would probably be more, um, keen to liking the bit because they're the ones that are putting it in their mouths on their own. Um, every horse that I have taught to self bridle has zero problem with a bit. Um, but well, that actually was something with Nova is he does self bridle. And yeah. that's why I said it's, it was a first for me. He self bridles. It was totally fine off the bat. He was doing great. But then we started doing more and more mm-hmm. with the bit and the treats started building up and he just got so frustrated with it. It yeah. was, it was pretty shocking to me. Yeah. And I mean, again, that's the individuality. I haven't run into a horse like that yet, but that is something I will definitely now consider from here on out because <laughs> well, and it, it's exactly what you said is they're tools and it's how you train it and what you're training it for for me personally my goals are ultimately i like bridalists the most i yeah. think that the best connection between horse and rider is with as few yep tools as possible completely um, agree but you know not all of my horses are bridalists i really wanted to do bridalists with nova but at least right now that's really not something i should be doing again <laughs> he made that very clear um but um you know back to the question too it's can your horse get sick right. and it's how you use it, how much you're stressing your horse out. If you are making your horse really hot, 
then yes, your treats are kind of probably going to backfire on you. Um, I don't work my horse into a dripping sweat, especially my plus R horses. Mm -hmm. Um, We work for success and good, correct exercise, um, not intense, lengthy lengthy exercise. I've learned that exercise in short strength bursts uh, can be better than cardio. It's like a hit workout. Um, Some horses enjoy the cardio, uh, even with Lily, who does enjoy her well, she doesn't enjoy the bit, but she knows how to ride in a bit, and all my horses do. She will trot around bridleless all day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, be aware of what you're feeding. Some horses really need the low-value reinforcements like Timothy Cubes. Um, some horses really need something a lot more extreme, and I actually think that was part of the question, too, is what do I feed? Yeah. Um, my go-to are they're called apple smacks um they're these little (laughs) kind of like cube things and they're mostly flax they're pretty good for the horses they've actually helped lily keep her really dark liver chestnut coat rather than her bright red coat Mm -hmm. um and they're easy to chew and i only have to give one at a time and it's pretty easy to just pop it in the horse's mouth and easy for the horse to grab rather than trying to like muzzle for all the pellets right and i think i think that that is a good point as well and i think if you were to do like a cardio exercise, like a conditioning set or something, you would just really have to pay attention to first your horse's diet. If you're on a high starch, high sugar mm-hmm. diet, you're you're increasing your risk inherently of having issues like colic and um, metabolic issues. But if you are um, if you are doing it and are on a low NSC diet, then you know ride in the morning, ride when it's cooler, you know, plan, yeah. plan your sessions around it, um, so that it makes sense and you're decreasing your risk. Um, you know, I also don't recommend riding your horse into a dripping sweat, but I understand that some people that, um, are in competitions, it's a necessary thing for the, uh, health and safety of the horse and the rider. Um, but also, um, on what I use, I use alfalfa pellets predominantly, but I'm going to have to look into these apple smacks. <laughs> um, the only reason I don't use alfalfa pellets is because my horses already eat plenty of alfalfa. Mm-hmm. Um, they're on alfalfa hay and orchard hay. Uh, some of them are on teff hay, which is really low calorie. Yeah. Um, I do sometimes recommend that people feed part of their horse's grain, although yeah. I even then also resort to the apple smacks or the Timothy cubes because then if you are at the level where you're doing more intense exercise, grain is less likely to have benefits. Yeah. And I mean, I know like Shauna Karish, um, she does, um, she's sponsored by Cavalor Feeds and she trains almost all of her horses using portions of their daily ration. And to me, that makes more sense for the horse biologically anyway, Mm -hmm. because they're not designed to eat and set meals like we do for human convenience. Not saying I'm golden over here. My horse has two square meals a day plus hay and forage. (laughs) So, um, I mean, it's, it's definitely, um, a way to look at it, but for, especially for workouts, I would not recommend really using their grain, but it depends on what it is, you know? I mean, like if it's something very close in, um, relation to like an alfalfa pellet, then you're probably going to be fine. Um, but that would also work really well for horses that you're concerned about being overweight. Um, then that way you could feed them and reinforce them and exercise at the same time without, you know, kind of supplementing their baseline diet with treats. Um, Mm -hmm. Another thing to do um, is for me when I would ride Zoe and actually learn this from you in a conversation that we had um, was that for some reason when I would take her into the arena with all the new stimuli, well, not for some reason, it was all the new stimuli, um, (laughs) she just was not 
paying attention. She would not take the treats because it wasn't reinforcing enough. The value of her reinforcer was not high enough. So she would rather look around and try and drag me to the other horses and stuff. And she just wouldn't take the treats. And I was like, well, shit, what happens now? And I talked to you about that. And you were like, well, sometimes you have to carry multiple reinforcers with you. Um, Mm -hmm. So then I started carrying carrots. And instead of which are Aren't they high in sugar? I actually don't know that much about human food. <laughs> I think carrots, yeah, carrots and apples, I usually, I value those as the highest. But I remember that conversation it was because yeah. I had talked about Lily's yep. jumping. You know, she's she's very good at jumping. She's a very hot horse. But I've conditioned her laziness into her and jumping now. You know, she's gotten <laughs> a lot older. I've had her for seven years. She's 17 now. I didn't oh, know that. God, That's a crazy. A little more than seven years. Wow. Because um, I got her when she was before she turned 10. Um, but Jeez. jumping became not as highly valued. It used yeah. to be that it was something super exciting for her. But now I do really need to make sure that I have something that balances out that value. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and that's that's exactly what you said. And different context, but same rule applies because, you know, being in a new environment and the arena, which is, you know, 20 yards away from her paddock, but she couldn't see her buddies anymore. She's in a new <laughs> place surrounded by new horses, even though she was a very experienced, um, very seasoned uh, event horse. She still was like, whoa, there's a lot going on because she's a prey animal and it's in her nature. Um, so in order to make her comfortable and get her to eat, to bring her down to a mental state where she could learn, um, I had to have something that was worth it to her. And so I would start out with a really high rate of reinforcement, lots and lots and lots of carrots at the beginning while we're just walking around. And then gradually I noticed that she was responding to my cues, like super spot on, very responsive. And um, then I gradually started fading out not only the frequency, but also the carrots. And then I started only using the carrots for when um, she did something really brilliant, you know, like actually really lifted through her back and um, took a couple trot steps or something. Um, And then all the other times I would use the alfalfa pellets. pellets. So then she was um, in a working mindset where those were (laughs) acceptable to her. So uh, um, yeah, do you have anything else to say on that topic? Um, no, I think I'm good. You know, like, <laughs> I think my last, like, uh, note about that that I have written down here is, you know, if your horse enjoys cardio, then do cardio. Mm-hmm. It's something you get to work with and and mutually enjoy. Um, but definitely with Plus R, it's really taught me to value the, the short strength-based exercises um and to do things in short bursts you know i think we were just talking on the phone before this if you drill something no matter if the horse is already an expert in it or if the horse is new to it and enjoys it if you drill it your horse is quickly not going to enjoy it and not therefore not eager to repeat it for sure like i mean for me learning how to draw and you too because you're a stupid you're just better at me than I'm like, you're so good at art. And, um, but if somebody were, you know, over your shoulder being like, draw, draw, Kane, draw, you would be like, <laughs> I don't want to anymore. You've ruined it. Thank you. Um, even if you were getting paid for it, you'd be like, I don't want to do this anymore. You know? Oh my God, I do. I'll like, especially around Christmas time, I get all these commissions and it's like, I don't want to be doing this. Oh, I know because I'm poor most of the time because I spend all my money on, horse books and (laughs) equipment for stuff like this. And um, so I never have any money to spend on other people because I'm selfish. (laughs) So all of my presents end up being drawings. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. I like drawing for myself so I can hang it on my wall. (laughs) And my nasty 
trailer. <laughs> the walls are right, so let's ugly. Move on. <laughs> yes. Sorry, not talking about my interior design. Um, okay. <laughs> okay, so actually getting to the writing portion now, an hour and 17 minutes in, let's do it. Okay, guys. So, surprise, <laughs> we did actually have to break it up. We actually ended up recording almost an entire another hour um, for this episode specifically, Um, but we still had a lot of questions and topics that you guys asked me to cover on um, both the Jet Equitheory and the Equitheory Instagrams, so um, I figured it would be best if we just split them up because it's already a really long episode, and I want to make sure that it's listenable, (laughs) and three-hour episode's not going to be great. Next Tuesday, I will post part two, and hopefully that will be the last installment, but me and Kane do plan to do um, some other episodes on problem horses, and um, I want them to go more in-depth about the Deaf Mustang Uma that they worked with, and I just, I think that Kane really has a lot to bring to the table, always. A brilliant trainer and phenomenal horseman, like, just, oh, it's, I love talking to them. It's, it's just incredible. So I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. Be sure to check us out on all the social media at Equitheory or Jet Equitheory, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and uh, I also have my website, jetequitheory.com, for all of the terms. I have a whole tab called positive reinforcement that has um, a bunch of different (laughs) topics. And I have a glossary, books, podcasts, all resources you need to learn how to get started, as well as a page that just kind of has the basics of what um, you should look at, you know, so you don't have to look at everything all at once. So I hope that helps and you guys uh, make use of that because I'm working on it. It's coming. Um, I also have posted new videos on YouTube, so be sure to check those out and more are coming soon. Finally going to get the Dominance Theory one up, but Anyway, I think that about wraps it up for this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on episodes every Tuesday. And I will catch you guys next week for part two. (laughs) 